0: Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church Conway. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. Thanks for listening. The text that we're going through today is the turning point. It is the pivotal point in the scripture of God's word that tells us as Christians, this is exactly where we're to live our life. So this morning as we begin, let's begin in Luke chapter 23. We'll start in verse 33 and go um, on in a little bit. But um, as we begin, I wanna just say a couple of things for us. Josh has been leading us through what we know as the night trial. And I'll talk a little bit about that and just kind of recap a little bit about what uh, Jesus went through, what the Sanhedrin did, what the officials, the Roman officials did. Um, but um, we need to keep in mind everything that we say, everything that we do this morning in light of Philippians chapter two, starting in verse five. And let me read this to you, you don't have to turn there, Uh, you're already in Luke. Luke. Philippians chapter two, verse five says, have your own attitude like that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man in his eternal form, external form, he humbled himself being obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. For this reason, God also exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and under earth, and on earth and under earth and every tongue should confess that Christ Jesus is Lord to the glory of God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for a place where we can come and worship where we can open your word and have you speak to us, not only as a church, that we would go from these doors and influence our community, but also, Father, thank you for a home that we can call home. It is you that has provided a place for us to worship and now speak to us as individuals that we would be changed into your likeness, that we would become more like you than ever before. Father, speak to us through your word. I love you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The night trial has been the, the theme for a few weeks. And so we want to just kind of rehash uh, just a little bit about what this means to the night trial. For some of us, we don't understand kind of what the night trial meant. For the Jewish legal system, they prided themselves on having a an advanced legal system that people were able to follow. In fact, many of our Western world um, legal systems um, uh, things, the, thing, the, the system that we follow was influenced by the Jewish legal system, which was influenced or even started by the Mosaic law, which meant it came from Old Testament scripture. So there's no way to avoid what it is that we do. Not only as a Western world, when we follow God's word, we are instructed that we are supposed to take His word and apply it to our heart, and it will never, it will never prove itself to be wrong. And so, when we understand that God's word is true, it's inerrant and infallible. Then, for us to say, well, it can work this way or that way, it means that we take it upon ourselves to interpret God's word the way we want to. And so this morning, I want to just kind of reintroduce you to the night trial. Here are some things that we are going to talk about even today. The night trial started because Jesus was coming on the scene. About a week ago, um, in chronological order to where the scripture is, Jesus comes walking into Jerusalem on a donkey. And people are bowing to him, and they're laying palm fronds in front of him, and they are saying, Hosanna to the king. They're saying all of these things, and the Roman officials and the Jewish officials are noticing what Jesus is doing with their power, and with their established structure. And Jesus seems to be pulling the people in his direction away from them, and they don't like it. And so they start cooking up ways in order to be able to, to get Jesus out of the way. And they can't do anything. They, they kind of meet with him and ask him questions and do all this stuff, but they can't seem to, to stop the people from beginning to become followers of Jesus. And as the week goes on, the Roman officials and the Jewish leaders begin to get nervous, and they are trying desperately some way to get Jesus out of the scene. And what they do is they begin to use the court system in order to be able to make their plans come about. In Deuteronomy chapter 16, verses 18 through 20, it says this. This is the law that has been given to the Jew- Jewish people. that says, you shall appoint judges and officers in all your towns that the Lord your God is giving you according to your tribes. And they shall judge the people with righteous judgment. You shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality. You shall not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds, an eye, blinds the eye of the wise and subverts the cause of the righteous. Justice and only justice you shall follow, that you may live and inherit the land that the Lord your God Is giving you. So the mandate was very, very clear back in Deuteronomy that how the Jewish people, the Israelite people, were supposed to set up this law so that they would govern people. But what would happen is that over the course of time, they would would kind of denigrate into the court system that was unduly influenced by money and religious power. A community who was thought of uh, about 120 um, men who were the heads of the household. That was the establishment of where a community was to begin. And each community, the Jewish leaders set up what they called the Sanhedrin, or they would, they was, it's called the Sanhedrin, but in our understanding, it just means sitting together. A group of guys who were leaders, who were mature and wise, they would sit around and they would judge people according to God's word. But after the Babylonian captivity, after the temple was um, in one place and they were scattered everywhere in the kingdom, they set up their small kingdoms or their small uh, communities in different places throughout the land. And they set up a Sanhedrin, a small council of people that judged in each of the cities. Now they had the great Um, Sanhedrin, which was in Jerusalem. It was made up of 70 leaders plus the high priest. And how did you become one of the 70 leaders? Well, you proved yourself in those small community uh, councils as being trustworthy and wise. And then you went to Jerusalem and you spent a year in the great council being an apprentice. And then you were able to be selected to go to the great council. And you sat in judgment of the whole land. Long before Jesus came, the Sanhedrin denigrated into appointments based on religious and political favoritism and influence. The justice system that God had set up in Deuteronomy now became unduly influenced by man's desire in order to be able to control what he wanted to control. No longer did he listen to God and say, Whatever it is that you want, he says, It's whatever I want. And I'll bend all of your rules in order to make my wants and desires happen. The rabbinical re- requirement of a trial were these three things. It had to be a public trial. It had to have a defense, defensive counsel. It had, the defense had to be able to have counsel. And third, the conviction was only on the testimony of two or more people. So it couldn't just be something, somebody just got mad and said something. It had to have evidence and witnesses. To guard against false witnesses, whether given because of revenge or because of a bribe, the Mosaic law prescribed that a person who knowingly gave false uh, information or false testimony must suffer the same punishment as those he was bringing the testimony against. Not only was he subject to having the same punishment if he was Giving a wrong testimony, number two, he had to ascribe or prescribe that the accusing witnesses in a capital case were to the, to initiate the execution. Do you see what it 's saying is that if you 're going to bring a testimony against somebody, you have to not be bribed, not come out of revenge, but you have to have one or more. uh, provable um, guys or people that would bring a testimony, and it had to be given knowingly, and then if it's false, you will suffer the same, the very same punishment of the person that is going to be accused. You see where the people are right here. Isn't it kind of funny that we would see in the context of the night trial, in the backdrop of what Jesus was doing, here was a group of people who were prescribed to do what God wanted them to do. They were starting to pervert everything about what God's word was saying. And now the chief priests, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, they were starting to bribe people to bring an accusation against Jesus. And they said to the people, don't worry about this law that says, oh, if you are wrong or proven wrong, um, you won't have to die with him. Because I think people in the back of their mind, they would probably be pretty scared of doing that. And not only were they not, not being afraid of suffering the same punishment, but the interesting thing was that in a court of law in this time, whoever brought this charge was going to be the first one to initiate the execution. It's really in that thought process that Jesus is is meeting with the the woman who's caught in adultery and he bends down and he said, let the one who's without sin cast the first stone. That's the thought process that, that everybody is having. So it's very well known of what was going on. The rabbinical law required that a death sentence could not be carried out until the third day after the sentence was talked about. During those three days, council members were required to fast. It's interesting that women were not were not given the ability to testify in open court. It wasn't because they were sexist or anything like that. It was it was thought that women did not possess the ability to pick up and cast the first stone. That they were gentle enough and they were kind enough and they were they were they were just not mean like guys are, and they couldn't do it. So they just eliminated women from being able to, to testify. The law preventing the trial of the feasts when fasting was prohibited. This law also allowed for additional witnesses, evidence, and testimony to be discovered in the defendant's behalf. In the book, The Testimony of the Evangelist, a guy named Simon Greenleaf, who was a professor at Harvard, wrote in 1881, he said this, on the trial, on the day of the trial, the court officers would require all evidence against an accused person to be read in the full hearing of the open court. They would, each witness uh, against him would be required to affirm that his testimony was true to the best of his knowledge and based on his own direct experience and not on hearsay or presumption. Number three, witnesses were also, also had to identify the precise month, day, hour, and location of the event about which they were testifying. And then finally, the council itself could not bring up a charge, but literally they could just hear it and not bring it up for themselves. For the Sanhedrin, there was always the presumption of innocence and great latitude was given to the accused in presenting his defense. There are several things that they could do and could not do. But the underlying principle for the Sanhedrin was this. Let's save life and not destroy it. And so when we come to this night trial, we now understand a little bit about the legal proceedings. That it had to take three days, but in all actuality, it was just one night. They took him before six different legal Um, uh, magistrates. And each one said, I don't find anything wrong with him. And so they said, well, we don't like that. We don't like that verdict. We'll go to another guy. And that didn't happen, and they didn't like that. So let's go find another guy. Let's find another guy. Six times they went to different people, could not find anybody that would convict Jesus of what they were accusing him of. Jesus was illegally tried without first having been charged with a crime. He was tried at night and in private. No defense was permitted and none was given. Witnesses against him were bribed for false testimony. And then finally he was executed on the same day he was sentenced. And what would happen is that when an execution was about to happen, they, they render the judgment, then they would go away for two days. And they would give the leaders who had convicted him or sentenced him, or they, they convicted him, they would give them two days to fast and seek God's guidance in carrying out what was going on. And Jesus would come back and they would be able to present another defense. But This was not happening with Jesus' trial. It was quick. It was one night. It was in the dark. It was in private. Nothing was legal about it. Jesus suffered the scourging, carrying the cross, the whipping, the beating. All of this stuff was going on. And he was being railroaded into a situation where he knew it was wrong. The people knew it was wrong. Everyone knew it was wrong because they had seen this played out many, many, many times, and this was different. And so it's in the light of this night trial that we pick up in verse 33 of chapter 23. And when they had arrived at, um, and when they arrived at the place called the skull, they crucified him, here along with the criminals, one on the right side and one on the left. So here's Jesus being tried at night, illegally, and all of a sudden he finds himself, and I know it's not a surprise to him, but he finds himself on the cross, people nailing nails into his hand, and they're pounding. And Jesus is sitting there the whole time saying, this is not right, this is illegal, you didn't do the things that God prescribed for you to do many, many years ago. And they put him up on the cross to die. Now for you and I, I'm thinking if I'm in that situation, somebody's starting to pound nails, I'm gonna scream, I'm gonna holler, I'm gonna want revenge, I'm gonna want retaliation. But nothing like that happens because Jesus in scripture says he will be led to slaughter as a lamb. You see, scripture has been from the very beginning talking to us about what this very thing was. This instance of Jesus on the cross It was not plan B for God. It wasn't that, okay, Adam and Eve sinned and I really didn't plan on them sinning, uh, so what are we gonna do? We just gotta scramble and make way for all the things to go um, our way. No, God knew exactly what was going on before he formed even the very foundation of the earth. And when scripture tells us that, we believe that because it's what God says. Do we understand it? No, but we try to. We listen to pastors talk. We listen to, to podcasts. We listen to commentaries. We listen to all kinds of things trying to wrap our minds around this whole thing. And so with the night trial we're trying to wrap our minds around what Jesus went through and what he was thinking. Jesus says on the cross after they've illegally tried him, after they've put him up on the cross and they have beaten him and they have put spikes into his hands and into his feet. They've made fun of him. They've put a crown of thorns on his head. They've spit on him unjustly. Do you see the frustration that we would feel? And Jesus, I know he was 100% God, 100% man, but he had to feel the same things. And as he's up on the cross, what does he say? You know, Jesus says seven statements while he's on the cross. Three of them, which we'll we'll deal with um, today, but the the seven things that Jesus said were this. Number one, in Luke 23, verse 33, or 34, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He also says in Luke 23, 43, I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. John 19, 26 says, woman, behold your son. Now, Luke doesn't give us that, but John does. Matthew and Mark both record, and this is the only thing that they record in their account of the crucifixion. They say both, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now, Luke doesn't write that, but Matthew and Mark do. Jesus says, I thirst in John chapter 19. It is finished also in John chapter 19. And then our, f- our final verse that we're going to deal with today is this. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Three statements out of the seven that Jesus said on the cross we found are found in this scripture. So let's look on even further. They went to the skull and they crucified him along with the criminals, one on the right, one on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they were doing. And they divided up his clothes and cast lots. The people stood watching and even the leaders kept scoffing. He saved others, let him save himself. If this, is God, if this is God's Messiah, the chosen one, the soldiers also mocked him. They came offering him sour wine and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. So you see that the people stood watching. I think that probably this, they were standing around saying, well, the government is in charge. They know what they're doing. Uh, we're just going to defer to them. I think that that's going to be one of the things that we're okay with. The people watched, didn't say anything. The leaders were scoffing. If you're the son of God, bring yourself down from the cross. You're not the son of God. All the insults were hurled upon Jesus as he's dying on the cross. The people stood watching. And the leaders kept scoffing. The soldiers also mocked. Here were hard-hearted soldiers who were used to death. This wasn't anything new. They've seen this before, and so they... They just mocked him. This is whatever. Just bring yourself down if you can. Jesus, in the midst of this, makes this statement. Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. You see, there was a a time in eternity past where Jesus was co-eternal, co-existent with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. And when sin entered the world... They needed a savior. Men needed a savior. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 1 says this. Since the law is only a shadow of the good things to come and not the actual form of those realities, it can never perfect the worshipers by the same sacrifice they continually offer year after year. We know the sacrificial system. Every year they would bring a sacrifice and the sins of the people would be atoned for by the high priests. But it was year after year after year after year after year. Every year they had to do the same thing. When is this ever going to end? When is it going to stop? Calvary stopped it. You see, the blood of Jesus, which was sinless, that was perfect, had to have been the sacrifice for people in order to be able to reconcile us to God. These stories... The big story is that God is reconciling his people back to himself. The smaller story is that Jesus is crucified on the cross. But the even smaller story is this, is that he even took the individual and he offered forgiveness and and heaven to him. Jesus forgave, even in the point of, of everybody being... Wrong in doing what they did. And number two, we see that Jesus assures us and he talks to us. In verse 39, it says this, then one of the criminals hanging, on the, hanging there began to yell insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself. But the other one rebuking him, don't you even fear God? Now I need to stop right here because if you go back over to Matthew chapter 28, we find that both Both of the criminals were hollering at him. Both of them were mocking him. Both of them were saying insults. But here in Luke's gospel, it just says one of them. So what happened between Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel? Is one of them wrong? No. One of them just emphasizes one part of this story more than the other. Somewhere on the cross, Jesus was condemned. Two thieves, two robbers. Now, the original translation of the the word robbers was somebody who had performed their act in broad daylight. They didn't care who saw them do something wrong. They were malicious. They They were mean guys. They were caught. In fact, they were probably, some people say, that they were probably two friends of Barabbas, the guy that was supposed to be probably on the middle cross instead of Jesus. They were two friends of this known murderer, Barabbas. And so here they are on the cross. And one of both of them are hollering at Jesus, but one of them turns and says, Stop. Stop. Why? Do you not even believe in God? What made him change in this instance of being on the cross? Let's look at this real quick. But he answered rebuking him. Don't you even fear God? Since you are undergoing, since we are going under, um, since you are undergoing the same punishment, we are punished justly because we are getting back what we deserve for the things we did. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom he acknowledged and he repented he said to the other guy on the cross who was ridiculing jesus the one thief or the one guy on the criminal on the cross who was repentant he was on the cross he said don't you even believe in god so apparently he does be, begin to believe in who jesus is we're getting punished for what we did In order to come to Jesus, in order for his sacrifice to be for you and for me, we must come with a repentant heart that we are sorry for what it is that we've done. We can't just add him to our list of people that will just say, well, I'll just grab another God. I'll just grab another deity. I'll grab another thing. Maybe this will all flesh out at the end. It's Jesus and Jesus only. In fact, the Bible says, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And so it's Jesus' death on the cross that is the central point for Christianity. Had it not been for Jesus' death, we would be, of all people, the most pitiful. We would be hopeless, without a Savior, but Jesus willingly advanced to the cross and died willingly on the cross, a cruel Roman death for you and I. And this this criminal, he said, we did things. And then he said, I recognize that this guy who's in between us, he has done nothing wrong. So he places his trust in who Jesus said he was. On the cross, this criminal becomes a Christian. And in fact, it's really interesting. Um, he says in a personal word, Jesus. Jesus. Not whoever you are or God somewhere out there. He recognizes Jesus and he says, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? Now he recognizes that Jesus is has a kingdom that's far beyond the Roman crucifixion because nobody has ever come off a Roman cross and lived. They've all died. The Romans have perfected this thing called capital punishment. And they knew that. He knew that Jesus wasn't coming off that cross, but he says to him, you are a king and you're going to your kingdom someday. Would you remember me when you get there? And what's Jesus's response? And it should be assuring for us today. Jesus says, Today, I assure you, I use the word assure, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. It blows two religions out of the water. Number one, there is no purgatory. There's no time for them to get off the cross and just burn your sins away. And then finally, one day you'll be able to get to heaven. He says, today you will be with me in paradise. And it does away with the Jewish works religion. It do, does away with even our 21st century works religion that I can do good things in order to be able to be in the presence of God. Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise just because you confessed your sin and because you acknowledged who I am. You will be with me in paradise. The third statement is really, really Interesting. It was now about the noon and the darkness came over the whole earth until three, because the sun's light failed, the curtain of the sanctuary was split down the middle from top to bottom. And Jesus said out in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And saying this, he breathed his last. He committed his spirit to God the Father. He said, this is an example of complete commitment to our faith in God, who only God can save. Jesus, after he accomplished the task that his Father had given to him, he completely and utterly committed his life into the hands of the only one that could save. Here's the fundamental truth. Pilate and the Sanhedrin gave their consent to crucify Jesus. The sentence was declared by a world power. Jesus was crucified, but he was not forced on the cross. Against his will. This was a crucifixion, but it wasn't an execution. It was a crucifixion, but it wasn't an execution. Jesus willingly laid down his life for us. Nobody took it. In fact, the scripture tells us that I lay my life down on my own accord. Nobody takes it from me. It was from the very foundation of the earth that this crucifixion had to happen, that Jesus had to die. For you and I, it had no other way. There was no other plan. There's no other thing. In fact, Hebrews tells us that that sacrifice, year after year after year, could never do what it is that Jesus did. And Jesus dying on the cross, sinless perfection, once for all time, paved the way for us to be able to ascend, ascend to God the Father, and ask for forgiveness. This is crucial. the Christian faith. We have to believe that Jesus died on the cross, rose again in three days, and lives right now at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us even today. He's praying for you. In fact, he says, Father, the ones that you have given to me, I have not lost. And Jesus has never had a prayer that wasn't answered. And Jesus says, I sit at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you. This morning, I want to ask you Have you placed your trust in Jesus? Have you made mental assent to you say, I can't do it on my own. I need a savior. I need somebody to do something that I couldn't do. It's just simply saying, Jesus, I acknowledge my sin. And I know that you can help. And then you commit your life and you say, I will now begin to walk anew. I will become more Christ-like. I will be like Philippians 2 uh, verse 5 says, that I will have the mind of Christ. This morning, have you made that decision to do that? Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday.